Okay, we're going to read one of our daily readings from our recommended plan, and it's got some thoughts in it and some words that tied in with the thoughts that I was already planning. Angela's going to read for us. It's verse 2 that, I, that, that sort of appeared by coincidence. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am ready, being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Christmas has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I send Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him. For what he has done. And you too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me and may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be glory for ever and ever amen greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus Erastus stayed in Corinth and I love Trophimus sick in Miletus Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so does Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So like I say there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and and in fact that, that whole paragraph, it has this, statement uh, that we're to do. Correct, rebuke, 
and courage with great patience and careful instruction. And that's what um, I'd like to think about this morning, about challenging someone. This thought came into my head as part of and linked in to a a talk I did uh, about a year ago about forgiveness, um, about us forgiving in response to God's uh, amazing, unconditional forgiveness. And about that we need to hold on to these two things at the same time. Unconditionally forgive anyone. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. They are very hard things to do at the same time. How, how can that be possible? How can you let someone get away with things and then try to make them not get away with it? It's sort of, they, they do seem the opposite. They seem, they feel like there is no logic. How can, how can the Bible be telling that you have these two things at the same, in the same place? They must be together. They cannot, you cannot do one and not the other. They must be done at the same time. They are related. So I'm going to just read to you from Matthew chapter. Um, there's, there's lots of places in the Bible that sort of got examples of this of the, uh, the this principle of challenging someone. And there's a really good one in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, so that a testimony of two or three witnesses. Um, at the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter will be may be established. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. So the first the first thing to note about um, not what you say, but how, if you're going to challenge someone. Do it as privately as possible. And not even just if it fails, okay, out, out it all goes. Slowly as possible step is to more people being involved to help. I think challenging someone is a very, very hard, deep thing. Um, I think it causes lots of issues If there were lots of people involved, there's lots of problems. For example, sharing you being associated with someone else's judgment or lack of mercy and things like that. It's an open conversation to challenge someone. And to be open, I feel things need to be private. Don't publicly announce private things in front of lots of people. 
And I think if you're going to challenge someone, both of you need to be as open and as honest as possible. It's interesting. I've been thinking, there's a few examples why it being in private. One, one that um, the opposite extreme case. If you talk about someone behind their back, with lots of people and not even themselves, it's, it's like the opposite, the worst case. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you talk about someone behind their back? It's because of all the things in you. You're not challenging them because you care about them. And none of that is being involved. That's what should be happening. Talking about someone behind their back is all about the mess in here, the pride, the issues that are there. They're there when you are trying to challenge someone. Can you unselfishly challenge someone in love? I think it's a rare event when that happens. I think that's what we have to do. That's what I'm trying to have some thoughts about this morning. Only when there is a complete lack of response of you attempting to challenge them do you get slowly some other people in to help. This is all, there's lots of, I'm going to read you a couple of quick messages from other places um, that saying this is, this is important stuff. This is not just something to be left and someone else will handle that. From Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. The things that publicly seem like the big things in honor of God take lower priority than privately going and having a word with someone. A much lower priority from that verse there, from what Jesus says. The verses that talk about if your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. That's in Matthew chapter 18. Immediately after those verses that we read, it says this. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's saying, these are very, I find these words very challenging. Today, your foundations are being grown. Your seeds are growing. And these are important things. The inner, inside principles of us is being built today. That will be there for eternity. And that is the motivation to challenge someone because it's important. It's not just, oh, it's okay, it'll, it'll sort it out. Yeah, there are some issues with them. So I'm going to look at the examples we always need to look at, of course, of Jesus. At the start of his ministry, he was challenging people. From Matthew chapter 4, from verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach the message, 
repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So from the beginning of his ministry and lots of other places, we see this action in his life, him challenging someone. But there's some interesting things, I think, why it's so good to have Jesus and to look at the details of what has happened. Um, Jesus is in extreme pressures with extreme external foundations of pride and religious bad issues all focusing and targeting him um, from the Jewish culture that he was in. We also have extreme internal righteousness. That is nothing that we, we are just beginning to understand. And the situations we see are very visible, and you can see exactly what's happening. So we're going to do, uh, we're going to look at one example of these extreme, magnified, amplified examples uh, of Jesus challenging someone. Um, and that's from uh, the first 11 verses of John chapter 8, please. Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Thank you. And verse 3, says the teachers of the law were using um, teachers of the law and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery they made her stand before the group they put her there centre of attention of everybody which is the complete opposite of what we've just been reading that we should be doing that you should be doing And it says in verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, Jesus. They definitely weren't using this in any way for this woman. Nothing was about this woman or anything, any of their, all the people related to this woman. And Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger strange details about what Jesus is doing, writing on the ground with his finger. 
but it doesn't give us a clue about what he's writing. I know everyone would really want to know. I know anyone for a long time, oh, I wish we knew what it was, what he wrote. But it's interesting because it is showing us what he is not doing. They're all there. All these teachers of the law have got the woman standing. She's not on the floor. She's highly visible up there. They're all going, look at her. And Jesus is not even standing. He is bowed down on the floor, looking this way, scribbling on the sand. He will not be associated with them the way they are looking at her in any way. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He was still ignoring them apart from a second. When they kept on demanding him, he got up and I think looked just at them, not at her, just at them, and spoke directly to them. And immediately after speaking to them, stooped back down, scribbling on the floor, looking in the opposite direction again. His reply wasn't taking a focus of what they were all pointing at. The point Jesus was making was not about her. He was questioning their foundation. He was challenging them. At this, those, this is verse 9, those who had begun, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. There's loads of very small, compact words in the Bible that are always so interesting. The older ones first. I think the older ones very quickly realized that being without sin is impossible for anyone impossible i've got i've got a i've got a parable here the more expertise you have in a profession in in some your job um if someone comes and asks you a question you're more likely to go hmm well lots of the time it might possibly but there's edge cases and there's oh there's lots of issues with that you know when you're an absolute beginner you go oh yes the answer is boom the the deeper you get the more you understand something the more issues edge cases foundation problems you are aware of and i think that's what these the elders actually realized they're in a layer their spirit, their essence, their foundations. And in verse 9 it says, they all left until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up. When there were lots of people, he very noticeably, visibly, on purpose, stooped down I have nothing to do with this. When there was just the two of them, he finally straightened up to the woman who was still stood there. And I I am sure that he was stood 
face to face with her. The people all around the, the, the Pharisees and the people of the law wanted a big public event. Jesus wanted new, it was needed, a private event. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. I believe the way the teachers of the law speak, spoke, and the way Jesus speaks, they are not related. They're opposite ends, negative and positive, the black and white, they're, they are so different. They all were pointing, look at her, look at her. He would be looking in the opposite direction. He would not look at her while people were there. They were using her. They were using her to focus on something else. He very skillfully was absolutely focusing on her in a very invisible way. They spoke about her. Jesus spoke to her. I am quite sure. I don't know if you could. Um, it, so both their faces would have looked so different. I imagine on one half, the group of them faces, lots of wrinkles here. And for Jesus' face, possibly some wrinkles, but not the same way. I, I suspect, we don't know lots about Jesus' physical appearance, what color his eyes are. I'm quite sure he didn't have wrinkles in this area. They just looked down at her. Jesus was and is in every possible conceivable way so high above her and every human being who has ever existed or ever will exist in the world. And yet he was not looking down at her. He was not even judging and condemning her. He even, I don't know how he manages to do this, all the people of the law, he removed the condemnations of them. They all went away, proving to her that even they don't condemn her now. Wow. So that's what he wasn't doing. What, what was he doing? Go now. And leave your life of sin. He was challenging her. Challenging everyone, it seems. The elders were challenged. Challenging is not the same as belittling. Certainly not for Jesus. He says, he tells this woman, she is doing it herself. Go now and leave your life of sin. You will be doing that. It is your decision. Yes, he doesn't look down at her, but he challenges her. He definitely does a correct rebuke and courage. 
And somehow, somehow he manages in the most extreme opposite situation to do it personally, in private. The two things that I am sure in all of us are always linked, blended together like sort of mud, which is soiled and water, just you can't, once they're all together, you can't split them. Looking down at someone and challenging them, it's hard. In Jesus, those two things are completely unrelated. Looking down at someone doesn't even exist in him. Oh yes, he challenges. And I think we must attempt, try, learn to do the same. There are two things that must be linked. They must be together, joined, unconditionally forgive someone and correct, rebuke, and encourage them. Our God of grace is at the same time the God of righteous judgment. Not judgment about whether you are righteous. It is the nature of his judgment. And our God sees everyone, everywhere, in all time, and he has a response that will come. And we see a reflection, an image of that in Jesus. Not all time, the people in front of him, in front of his face. He has a response in the image of our beautiful God of how to challenge people. Jesus is the image of our amazing God. Jesus reflected God's glory, shared his burden and we should try and be the same okay we're going to we're going to sing our next hymn it's an interesting hymn this it's got lots of it's about the challenges of being a christian there's lots of um intimidating phrases um uh, an interesting one i know you know you notice something what does that mean touch things unseen i think um, that is the things that our foundations basically guilt weariness sin they're all in this hymn but it's not it's a beautiful lovely hymn to sing because we see how this strange holiness beautifulness of our god that alongside all the sin um the guilt the the weariness is his eternal grace is leaning upon him, the calm of sin forgiven, cleansing blood and seeing him face to face. So let's sing this together. Ewald, would you like to come and give thanks for the bread, please? Our dear Lord God in heaven, hallowed be your high and your holy name. Thank you for having brought us safely to your house. Do remember what your son did in the upper room. He took bread and is asking us to share it with him, saying, this bread represents my broken body. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to partake of this emblem in an honest manner. For Jesus' sake. Almighty God, our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, 
We do thank you for the pleasure of being in this place this morning, our brothers and sisters, and for listening to the beauty of your words. We've already focused, Heavenly Father, on the wonder of your presence. We pray you will help us to appreciate that the most valuable place and thing on this earth and in our life is the understanding and the belief of your presence that you have called us into. Help us to keep that in our hearts and our lives, we pray. And as we continue our thanks now for these emblems, the symbol of the brutal death of our Lord Jesus Christ, your dear son, our brother, we thank you that the reminder of this wine teaches us that his shed blood through the brutality the arrogance, the evil of mankind didn't stop him, Lord, valuing the beauty of your presence. And because he understood and demonstrated to them and to us the value of your presence, he went through the cruelty, the brutality of this event. And he stayed in love, forgiveness, commitment and courage. And so we pray, Lord, that as we now remember him through drinking this wine, we will take with us power of this reminder and the power of this remembrance with us so that when we are faced with the challenges of this life with other people sometimes and events and things that go on we will never forget the fact that we are always in your presence because you've invited us and we should be able to show kindness love forgiveness and understanding and we shall always therefore Not only give thanks now, Lord, but give thanks in the way we live. So we pray we accept our thanks and our appreciations of your greatness as we now remember Jesus in this way. Amen. Shall we sing a couple of songs? So the first one, I chose this because, of course, let there be love shared among us. It says, give us a fresh understanding of brotherly love that is real. And I was just sort of thinking about if you really, really loved someone, you might challenge them if they needed to be challenged. And that, I don't know, it's just um, real love has difficulties, has deep things that, you know, that we, we do. So that's what this um, that's why I chose this one. Thank you. Father God, the more I am beginning to get to know you, the more amazed I am at your foundations, at your inner being. You are so high above us in every way. And you challenge us. But you are right here next to us. You long to be behind a closed door, just face to face with each individual one of us. That's hard to comprehend. Father, help us to want justice just things to happen 
for us to act justly. Help us to understand your mercy and how deep it is and for it to be also be in us. This is so hard. We must always be looking at you, walking humbly with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing example. Thank you for being with us all this morning. Amen.